Hi, and welcome to DOD Secure, the podcast discussing national security and the protection of classified information. Here's where hard-hitting discussions tackling security clearances, insider threat, security programs to protect classified information, and intellectual property occur. We are so glad you are here, and this podcast is brought to you by SecurityClearanceDefenseLawyer.com and attorney Ron Siskus. Ron consults in all areas of security clearance concerns, and he can be reached by phone at 256-398-3316 or through his website. It's also brought to you by Security First and Associates. They provide FSO, CSO, consulting and training services. Hiring a full-time FSO can be expensive, A less expensive alternative is to use our managed security services. Our team of security professionals can help to minimize risks by assisting with many vital services from fingerprinting and background checks to DSS security vulnerability assessments. We also offer JPASS, FSO, and CSSO training. If you don't see the services you need, just ask. Security is our life. And by our sponsor, Red Red Bike Bike Publishing Publishing. at www.redbikepublishing.com, which has training resources and books based on security clearances and protecting classified information. You can also get your copy of NISPOM or your copy of the International Traffic and Arms Regulation or the ITAR there. Also included are books and training that you can download and present to your cleared employees. Our host, Jeff Bennett, is an author who publishes books as well as articles on clearancejobs.com. Welcome to DOD Secure with your host, Jeff Bennett. Well, welcome to another episode, and we're so glad that you have joined us. I'm always glad. I think we're up to like 10 listeners, and so we're really happy about that. And um, we've got a very special guests today. They're my friends, um, Joe and Terry Farkas, who have started their own company. And, and um, again, Red Bite Publishing helps a lot of folks with security matters, but we are focused on these smaller companies. And I think Joe and Terry bring a lot. Uh, welcome, Joe and Terry. Appreciate you being here. Thank you. Oh, man. How long have we known each other, Joe? Oh, Lordy. Long it's, time. what, 10 years? Or long No, it has to be more than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> long time. And uh, 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 Joe is um, Joe and Terry are, are my mentors I, I go to for risk management ideas and program protection and security ideas and... Not only is that their business, I think, but that's also what they have to do to be in compliance. (laughs) So, like I said, we used to work together, and then you two decided to go out and start your own business. Uh, What is your business? Well, we we provide uh, protection support to different customers in the form of uh, risk management-oriented activities like uh, operational security, program protection, planning, technology protection. We'll help people write class guides, uh, do communication strategies, those kinds of things that, uh, you know, help encompass, um, what would you say, Terry? Um, 
we call it a holistic approach. To a holistic approach, yeah, yeah to protection. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like what you said about doing class guides because um, I always recommend that FSOs and um, mainly maybe the engineers, it depends on how big the company is, assist with that classification guide production. Um, do you find that happens to be the case a lot? Or do you think those class guys are shoved down to um, without input? Well, you know, uh, it, it depends. It's case by case. We found mm-hmm. some uh, groups where the security manager or FSO uh, does provide tremendous support. And then we found a lot of cases where that's not, not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what we would say is, Look, the class guide is going to be your go-to if you're the FSO. That's what's going to guide your business. Uh, all the documentation, all the requirements under the NISPOM, whether it's it's processing, uh, storage, etc., that's all going to relate back to what's classified. So if you can spare the time, which I'm sure people can, it's good to sit in through the development of a class guide so you understand the context of how decisions were made. Invariably, classification challenges are going to come in, or they're going to be updates, and, and people are going to be asking, well, how do we come to this decision? And the FSO himself or herself may ask, well, why is that classified? It, it's really beneficial if you can sit in and participate and help. That's a, a good thing to do. Also, to give people some stick and rudder. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. people want to classify things and, that they can't classify. You know, There are certain things that uh, you can't be, be classified, and... And uh, the FSO is usually the one who is able to point that out to the uh, the group. Yeah, I like um, the list of things that can't be classified. Um, one is to hide embarrassing situations, and another one is to cover up a crime. It just makes me think of old spy movies or or, or thrillers that are out there. Yeah, Jeff, if, if if to hide embarrassing activities or cover up crime, most embarrassing activities. That, that would be our entire life would be classified at, at that point. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that, that's, that, that's in particular, that, those are the two, well, that is the one, the embarrassing activity that people uh, oftentimes want to wanna latch on to that they can. Yeah, okay. Well, um, now a lot of things go into class guide, and I think um, we did another podcast together, and we talked about products and um, we talked in depth about a product called communication strategy. But I also see um, the class guide as a product of an activity. You have to determine what is classified. And um, um, I know we talked about before, like OPSEC processes and OPSEC procedures and, and doing that due diligence to determine what is classified and how to present prevent its, its um, release to unauthorized persons. But... Um, can you describe the OPSEC process that you are really good at implementing? Well, it, it, it's pretty much the same exact process that everyone knows about, identifying what's what's critical, looking at the threats, vulnerabilities, risks, and the countermeasures. But here's what we'd say. In, in, in the real world, um, most people want to know what is it I need to protect and how I need to protect it. You can, by and large, bypass some of the threats, vulnerabilities, and risks just assume that the threats are going to be omnipresent, in particular to the insider threat. Uh, It's just omnipresent. And um, vulnerabilities are going to be omnipresent, too, because the threat's there, and and there are no surefire ways to prevent things from from coming in. But what we'll do is we'll we'll work with the the program. We we have some very specific tools, proprietary tools, 
and processes that, that we use to walk uh, the program through looking at information to determine its level of criticality. Um, as a side, when you're talking about class guides, we actually help a lot of people build class guides. And, and the one thing that we always tell people, we have tool sets as well uh, for that, uh, that are proprietary to our company. But what we will share with everybody is when you go to make a decision on classification, you can't do it, we found, drawing on the three criteria of damage, serious damage, and exceptionally grave damage to national security, which are the criteria for confidential secret and top secret. And the reason you can't do it is it's too much interpretation. There's three of us sitting at this table. We're going to get three different responses. So what we would encourage everyone to do is identify specific criteria relative to the environment that you're in. If it's development of a product for the, the government that may be classified, have that be the basis of your decision. So it could be loss of that information would degrade the operational effectiveness of this capability or loss would do. And that way people have a context upon which to make their assessment that is specific to that environment. That criteria becomes a touchstone. Everyone understands it. Everyone knows it. It's not amorphous like damage or serious damage. It's, it's something that's good. So if people are listening and they're going to be working on a class guide or trying to interpret one, we would recommend using specific criteria in lieu of those terms so that you have some understanding of what it is everyone's looking at. Yeah. So uh, a class guide is usually provided by a, um, a program office to the contractor. The contractor usually gets a D form 254 and some other paperwork that allows them to execute on that classified contract. But aside from the class guide, can the FSO lead a kind of effort to do like a company, not a class guide, but maybe something else where you identify what your, um, what your, what your controlled unclassified or your ITAR items are and um, design ways to protect those? I, I would say, yeah, that for sure. Once you understand, like with ITAR, you can, anyone can Google USML, the United States Munitions List, and, and that's what's used for ITAR. There are other aspects that are export controlled under the EAR, but really, by and large, if you're working with DOD, the ITAR, so you can Google the USML, you can look at it and say, which items on this list relate to what we do? Do we deal with radars? Do we deal with, with bullets? Do we deal with explosives? What is it we deal with? And then you can provide that to individuals so that they understand exactly what they're looking for. And you could let the format be your guide. You can use a, a matrix. You can use a, you know whatever kind of tool you want. One other thing we would, we've done and recommended and worked with on our client side is when a customer, when a government entity gives them uh, gives, say, your company, Jeff, um, a 254 with a class guide and says, here's the information. You may want to do an analysis where you regress it down and say, let's break this apart. What are we looking at? And a lot of times what you'll see is what may be classified, and a particular example I can think of, is what was very sensitive for this program was the actual operational parameters that were associated with the algorithms that were running on the, say, flight computer. That is really what the government wanted to classify. But because no one brought out, well, what are our options, they said, well, we've got to do all the, the work in a classified environment, which was very costly, getting the people cleared, getting the, the, the software integration lab cleared, etc. But by looking at it, 
you get alternatives. So the solution could be if it's a, an algorithm that's going to run, it's mathematic based, why can't we use dummy parameters that aren't representative of the operational environment to prove the math works? Right. And then what we'll do is we'll get a couple of people to work on the software application for the real parameters, two people out of that, I don't know, 20. And then when we go to test it, those are the only two people who are involved. It saves us getting 18 people cleared, saves us getting all these terminals cleared when we can just do it with a smaller amount. Those are the kinds of things an FSO can do to look at. It, it's not a everything is classified always kind of environment. So um, uh, you, you're a two-person company. Uh, what, what, what is your company's name again? I love we're Management Analysis Network. Yeah, I love that. So I work for the man. <laughs> she happens to be a woman. <laughs> so that's brilliant. Uh, that That is a, a good company name. So is your company um, possessing, non-possessing? We're a non-possessing okay. facility. So for some of you out there, that, that means that you're not hosting classified information. Right. We so, don't store it. And, and one thing we would say here, Jeff... Uh, that was uh, deliberate on our part. We are a small business. And we actually have one customer who wanted us to be possessing. But we knew that was going to have a significant impact to us being small. We're going to have to, to do the build-outs, get all the accreditations, all these things. So we actually worked it so that um, we, we pushed back and said, hey, why don't we do all the work you need us to do in one of your clear facilities so we'll get our personnel clearances. We'll show up and everything that we process on the networks or any place is actually in your facility. So you never have to worry about us losing it. And we don't have to worry about the burden of having to meet the requirements of a possessing facility. Okay. Um, and, wow, it doesn't sound like a story a lot of people would tell because they want to take all that stuff in and show uh, their value of doing the work at their site. But you're saying, no, there's more value at... Well, to us, it just, it, it makes, being a two-person company, I, I wear a bunch of hats, he wears a bunch of hats. If we can simplify things and being non-possessing uh, does simplify well, things for us. And, and here's an example. A friend of mine uh, was uh, in the business of, of doing fire safety. Um, so, you know, sprinkler systems. You can put sprinkler systems in any kind of building. If you put one in a U.S. embassy, those schematics are going to be classified. Ooh. So, if you're going to be required to do this, would you want to be set there, or would you want to show up at a government facility and be able to look at those schematics to do your design planning? And and that's a perfect example where you're dual-use customers, but someone has a requirement. That's a perfect case for making the argument of, this is really going to, as you used to say, harsh my mellow, to, to, <laughs> to take um, one customer when I have you know, 20, and that one customer is going to impose a requirement that's really going to burden me, the logical business decision is how do I work this to my benefit financially? And the way you do it is by making sure that you don't have to become a possessing facility. It could also be part of your risk analysis too, right? Yeah, um, the security risk as well as financial risk or the health of your company. Yeah, and that's what that's what we're looking at. We're, we're, in, we're not a, uh, what do you call it, Terry Charity? Uh, we're we're yeah. in business. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the business to, to make money. So, so I think there's a message there that you can control your destiny. Um, uh, you, you're able to control, even though you get a 254 that says one thing, um, 
uh, you know, it tells you what kind of business you're supposed to do and how to work it. But you have negotiation power in that. Um, you can talk to your customer. You don't have to be in receive mode only for these contracts. Is that, I think that's what you're saying. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, everybody involved with any kind of effort wants success. And they're willing to, to figure out how best to achieve that. Yeah. But I think just because, well... In our situation, anyway, we're working with uh, much larger companies, and I think the tendency can be maybe to be a little intimidated in a, you're going to do this, and and just knowing that, hey, you don't necessarily have to do that, that you can negotiate some things, you know, uh, even if they are a big company, you don't have to uh, just get pushed around because you're the, the smaller yeah. Smaller person. So you're a two-person company. You own the company. You have many roles. CFO, HR, um, FSO. Payroll. Payroll. Yeah. Insurance, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going with that question, but it, it's coming around. So um, how do you meet your requirements? Like, I, I think you're... Re- you may not at this time. I don't know if you're required to do derivative classifier training but you definitely have to do annual security awareness training and refresh your training. Do you guys like train each other or watch a slow to join another company's training and document that? No, we do our own. We, you know, we log on through DSS. We go into step. We do, you know, our, our training that way. We know what's required of us. Uh, When we go into J pass, of course, J pass has the, uh, the, the rule you can't look at your own record so we have to be uh, two people he looks at my <laughs> record I did not I know that at, I, I look at his record <laughs> but you're not allowed to look at your own so uh, so it works out being uh, two people so yeah if I if he's wondering you know when when let's I, just take I'm, this violation off my own record right easy <laughs> yeah that's a that's a a, a banner for them when you pull well, up. I had... Warning, do not look at your own record. Oh, wow, okay. They don't like that. It's been a while since I've done that. Yeah. Man. I think Joe uh, recently, he's uh, up for his uh, periodic reinvestigation. So he was like, can you go check and see when that is? So yeah, I logged in and, and uh, looked at, at his record. So yep, you're, you're due. It's time. So I uh, started the, the process for that, uh, got that ball rolling. So, for record keeping, do you print off your own training receipt from the STEP website and sure. put that in a file somewhere? Yeah, I keep a, a file uh, on each of us in, in our uh, our uh, security, our industrial security filing cabinet. And, and yeah, you, yeah, you need your um, certificates, KMP certificates, yeah. and all the uh, what we is just that? Had our uh, uh, um, inspection. Yes, our uh, three year. That's three years, right? They, they don't call them inspections. They really call it Reviews, uh, security, vulnerability assessment. Oh, okay. I think yeah. that's the term is, is that. Yeah. But we just had that. Yeah, do, we did. Just that. Do you conduct self-inspections? or? Yeah, you're required to, so uh, at least yearly. So. Do you use their little handbook that you print off or, or yeah, something? Yeah, they have like one, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, I keep that on file. So, yeah, we go through it and, and do. It's a... It's different being just a two-person office, I think, as opposed to being a large corporation. Our assessments are... You just got a couple pages that... that, that Our uh, DSS, our uh, rep, he uh, 
kind of laughed when we were doing our inspection because we have, you know, we do our insider threat training and we have an insider threat program. <laughs> we look at each other, are you a threat? No, are you a threat? No. But you have to have, it's required. And so even if, even though it's just the two of us, uh, uh, we have a program in place. So, um, so yeah. a, a married couple have a company and they're running their own continuous evaluation program. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Where have you been? Yeah. <laughs> very, 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 very much so. Were you watching football again? <laughs> <laughs> but, Not uh, like that. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, well, thanks again, Joe and Terry. I think uh, I've asked all the questions I wanted to, but if you out there have any questions for Joe and Terry, you can email uh, us at editor at redbikepublishing.com. Um, I like what you said today. I, I, I like the message that if you have a question as an FSO, you can always go back to the government and ask those questions. You, you can negotiate the 254. And if you need help as an FSO, there is help out there. Find a mentor, a professional organization, or DSS itself. Yeah. Any other parting recommendations? I think uh, from the FSO standpoint, um, if you can remember to do your yearly uh, uh, security vulnerability self-inspection, uh, that's important and it's an easy thing to let slip. And your annual uh, refresher uh, training. But also uh, something, well, maybe it's just us personally we have trouble with. If you don't log into certain systems, uh, say, every 30 days, you'll get locked out. That's a, a security thing. And, and sometimes it can be problematic getting that stuff turned back on. So just uh, put a reminder in your phone to, uh, to, to do that regularly. Yeah, especially if you're, a, the, I think the, the caveat is, if you're a small, non-possessing facility, those are the three big things that Terry's laying out. Just put it in your calendar to remember to, to log into the systems, particularly JPass, and then um, to do your annual self-inspection and your annual training. And the rest should really take care of itself. And keep, keep good records, I guess, when you do have to have your, your, uh, your inspection. Uh, your vulnerability inspection, um, they're going to check for that. That's a, they are a stickler for that to make sure you have your ducks in a row. It's not the time to forget where you put stuff. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. Good practical advice that we all can use. Thanks again, Joe and Terry, for being with us on DOD Secure. Thank you for joining DOD Secure, the podcast that talks about security clearances and protecting classified information according to the NISPOM. For more information, visit us at dodsecure.com or email us at editor at redbikepublishing.com. We would again like to thank our sponsors, securityclearancedefenselawyer.com and Security First and Associates at www.securityfirstassociates.com. Oh,